episode 177, Blockchain Revealed. Today, I speak with Cyrus Maghul from Health Convicts. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I had the opportunity to barrage Cyrus Maghul with questions about what blockchain actually looks like in the wild. Meaning, if I'm a patient or a provider or a payer or a lab, what's my user experience or a public health official? Nothing for nothing. Here's one thing I figured out during this conversation. In blockchain speak, sending a coin or sending a token is pretty much a synonym for placing an order. Now you know. Cyrus Megul is the decentralized healthcare leader over at Health Convicts as well as Point Nurse. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Cyrus. Thank you for having me here. Blockchain is a distributed ledger used for as the underlying technology for Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really want to get into what blockchain is today, i.e. the dictionary definition, mainly because most listeners of the show probably have at least enough to be dangerous. But let me toss this question your way. When you're talking to someone who knows just enough to be dangerous about blockchain, what is it that is most often lost in translation? Is there anything about the definition that tends to be misunderstood or maybe not appreciated by people who think they know what blockchain is? Well, the term blockchain has evolved over the last three to five years. Blockchain, its purest form, is uh, really a very simple concept. And I think what's happened is there's lots of other new technologies that are rapidly emerging, in some cases replacing blockchain with a more improved or enhanced technology. So I think blockchain has become a a catch-all for lots of new distributed technologies that have been around for quite a long time. But really, at the end of the day, the blockchain is a way to, it enables, you know, two people to be able to exchange something in value between each other without there having to be a third party. And that's really, at the end of the day, sort of the promise. So in its purest form, it's as simple as what I just described. And now it's turned into many different types of technologies, which are really just an expansion or an extension of some of the blockchain initial concepts that now are, uh, you know, really flooding the market uh, as uh, people come up with more complicated use cases that blockchain in its purest form wouldn't be sufficient to support. Oh, that's interesting. So there's sort of a foundational technology. And what's happening right now is people are adding features in order to solve specific use cases, but yet the mantle or the name, the catch-all term blockchain is still being used to refer to any and all things that have something blockchain about them. Yes, or something distributed in nature or typically have to do with uh, cryptography, which is very important in a blockchain. So new types of cryptography systems are emerging that will enable capabilities that blockchain can't enable today or 
you can't support certain use cases. One of the challenges with blockchain is blockchain is a very slow system. A blockchain does not scale very well, and the performance isn't particularly slow, basically. And there's a reason for that. It's the uh, getting consensus among lots of uh, nodes around the world to all agree in a 10-minute sort of interval doesn't happen instantaneously, unlike, you know, a Visa and MasterCard network where they have Visa and MasterCard shareholder companies supporting them. Those are the very centralized systems that can happen quickly because consensus isn't distributed. It's centralized. And so things happen, you know, at you know, the speed of light or very fast. I'm just, you know, exaggerating a bit in a centralized system, whereas in a decentralized system, you have to really go out and solicit people's vote, if you will, on a block of transactions. And that just doesn't happen fast due to the physics behind all this. Interesting, because I was thinking that the promise of blockchain was that it actually does scale well, but maybe that is a statement that needs to be refined, that you have to have the initial consensus. But once you have the initial consensus, then you essentially have achieved scale within those who are on board with what you're doing. Yes. For example, if you need instantaneous response time, it's very hard to do that if you're out seeking votes on a transaction. That just can't happen instantaneously. What you can do, and this is the evolutionary stuff now I'm talking about, is you can use the blockchain. I'm just going to use this as an example. as a wholesale system and then use a retail system around it in what they call off-chain or sharding or state channels. These are new technologies and capabilities that are emerging. So really, at the end of the day, for certain applications, a blockchain network might be the backbone of many other networks that are connected to it, which run much faster because they don't have the consensus mechanism that a blockchain does. Does that make sense? It does. Let's put this into a specific use case. And I think this is pretty common, but it's just very top of mind for me because I actually was at a meeting just this morning where this came up. So okay. let me let me toss this in your direction and see uh, what you think. Here was the challenge. There's a company that created an app. You know, it's actually much more than an app. It has all this patient information in it, PHI, around adherence and all kinds of stuff. And what they were looking to do was to make sure that the PHI that was contained within this siloed app database was available to providers within the provider, either EHR system. Ultimately, they wanted to integrate the data so that the information, the data that's in the app could be integrated with data that might be contained within an EHR system. And of course... Everyone around the table agreed that this would be a giant, like every provider that you're working with, you have to do the data integration and what a mess. And even just to get some of the information surfaced at the right time within an EHR system could be a challenge in and of itself. Is this a use case for blockchain or off-chain or, or how do you see something like that being solved? <laughs> Good question. I think that's a very difficult problem to solve, not because of the technology per se as much as the people and the processes. 
and the, the, the sort of non-technical uh, factors. It would be very difficult to build a system where everyone could, without there being a significant amount of systems integration work on all parties' part, for a system, a privacy layer to be distributed on a blockchain system that basically allows anyone uh, to share basically their public key, have it converted so anyone on the receiving side could have access either to a direct file or to credentials that will allow you access into an EHR system. So what you would have to do is have the whole industry standardized on a privacy layer blockchain which job would be largely to grant and revoke access to either data files directly or into systems or credentials that open up access to EHR systems. You'd have to have every EHR system buy into that privacy layer standard and as well as every app that's been developed in order for that to really work well. Uh-huh. Okay, so not a good blockchain use case then. <laughs> I really don't think it is. I mean, there's many people out there who are talking about that, and, and, and I, I get that. And I, I just know it's just a, a massive undertaking to do that or to solve that particular problem. So I know that you have been talking to actually the state of Wyoming. Am I allowed to talk about this? Sure, absolutely. And in a letter that you had written to the state of Wyoming that I'm looking at, so maybe we can discuss use cases from this direction, mm-hmm. you had put actually six benefits of blockchain. And one of them, you know, you're talking about re- reducing the complexity of healthcare and reducing duplicate healthcare processes and improving, this one is very interesting, improving rural-based healthcare services as well as curbing healthcare fraud and abuse. Is there kind of one workflow that sort of does all these things or is that six different implementations that would be necessary in order to accomplish those goals? Well, it depends on where you start. If you have system-wide, statewide cooperation, the state of Wyoming wants to basically put a provider identity on a blockchain. Every provider in that state has a digital identity, and every consumer in that state has a digital identity. Then you can build one system, and it would be lots of modules, but it would be one system done in a modular fashion. That can happen but it has to start from a federated level in order for it to be very successful. And that's what you hope, is you hope you can get buy-in at the state level and, for example, have every Medicaid recipient on a blockchain, their identity, and every provider on the same blockchain. So the idea here is that once you have everyone on the same uh, playing field, on the same system, then you can begin to automate a lot of workflow and contracting. If you think about healthcare, it's a lot of contracting, right? So I, I place an order for this, I deliver this, I get paid. Well, those three basic transactions there can get automated. Let's dig into that a sec, because I think I get the general idea, but I, I, I'm not sure if I get the, the, the nuance. So basically, all the patients in Wyoming for example, get a unique identifier number, and then all the providers do as well. So basically, everyone now has access to the distributed ledger. Right. You use the public key as kind of like, uh, you know, who the senders are, the receivers are. 
And if you're all on the same system, then it's very easy to notify people and then to allow them to access the record, which is really uh, owned and controlled by the patient at the end of the day. That's because the patient can determine who gets access and who doesn't. I know that's a little challenging there. The information is basically patient-centric. You know, the information is connected to the patient as opposed to having systems of care that have bits and pieces of everybody's patient information and other systems of care have bits and pieces of patient information and nobody's got the whole story, which has caused, you know, it's just every horror story you hear. So in this case, if the state of Wyoming issues everyone a digital certificate or basically a public key and a private key, then... Uh, you could set up a uh, essentially a personal health record for every citizen in your state. And every citizen in your state uh, basically would have control over that record, that particular public health, uh, personal health record. So every time you visit anyone on the chain, any provider on the chain, the very first place they would go would be to the consumers or the citizens' public personal health record. That public personal health record, they control uh, through their public and private key. And the way the blockchain key management systems work is, is that when, if you're my doctor, Stacey, you ask to have access to that public personal health record, what I can do is I can basically send you a, a transformed version of my public key that will allow you then to open up my public personal health record and, and view it at that time and append to it. And what does that look like? Well, let's just start with the patient, but then I want to ask you from the provider standpoint. So, so say, okay. say I'm the patient. Is this, yes. I get a secret code in my email and then I got to go to a website and type in my username, my password, and then the key? Like, how, how does this manifest in the real world? In the real world, you won't know blockchains happening in the real world. What you will know is that the state has required you to download an app. And on that app, you had to, you know, type some basic information. And then that app would generate the keys for you, the key pairs for you. And then that app would uh, also create, uh, let's call it just a, a template of a medical record for you. And that app may say, where would you like to store your personal health record, Stacy. And here are your choices. You can store it on your phone. You can store it on the Amazon web service. You could store it on your bank's web server, or you could store it on uh, Dropbox. And, and where do you want to put your folder, your, your shared folder? And you'd say, okay, I want to put it in Dropbox. Or you can say Google or whoever you, you trust. So that template or that encrypted file gets sent because it's all in the background and stored sitting there now in a Dropbox folder because you as the consumer trust that organization. If you don't trust anyone, you may say, I want that stored on my iPhone and that's fine too. So all of a sudden now you've every consumer out there, 20 million of them, 2 million of them now have decided where they want to put that record because they ultimately have control. The important point here is that all 20 million or 2 million citizens' records are not all 
sitting in one place. They're sitting in many different places. And so the next step is, okay, now you have it sitting there. So the next time you come to your doctor's office, you may show them your phone with a QR code. And that QR code would be a way for them to access your record now. And then you can really simplify it how you do it. And then that way they, you've given the, the provider now access to your record. Or they send you a notification from their cell phone or their iPad or their PC, and you basically grant them access to that address, which they would download from Amazon or Dropbox or wherever you put it, look at it, add to it, and then upload it back. And then, okay, so now I'm on the provider side. So we've got all these patients, and they're running around with their PHR, the personal health record, on phone, Dropbox, cloud somewhere. Okay, so now I'm putting myself in the provider's shoes. So patient comes in the office. Is this something that you would envision happening at the front desk, that there's some kind of, like you said, a QR code scanner or something? Sure. It could be, yeah, the UI, UX can be almost anything. But at the end of the day, what you have to do is you have to transport to the provider's computer or iPhone or whatever device they're using the key in which a transformation of your key which they in turn can use to unlock where you've stored your record. And how are they viewing this? Is, is this something that gets imported into their EHR? Is this something that they just are kind of glancing at so that they can make sure you got the pneumonia vaccine? Like It could be as simple as, like we're working right now in our telemedicine app for Point Nurse, another company I'm involved with. What we're doing there is we're just setting up a very simple app for the provider to use to view a a soap note, basically. And they'll be able to, on iPad actually, they'd be able to go through the different sections of the soap note and kind of browse it or just view it. And then if they want to add, they can go ahead and add to it. And that would be appended to the soap note. So it'd be like a longitudinal soap note. And so it could either be in the form of an app Okay, or it could be just very simply a download of something, a, a document, so they can at least read it and see that history, which could be very valuable if you think about it. So even that, and they could still use their own EHR system, but at least they have that longitudinal record. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just plenty of stories about how somebody goes to a new provider and guess what forms they're filling out. Yeah, Mm -hmm. every one of them because Mm -hmm. the information doesn't transfer. But okay, so from the provider standpoint, though, maybe I append the soap note, as you just described, in someone's PHR. Do I have to duplicate that information within my own EHR? Like, how does my flow sheet get populated if all of my patients have their own information elsewhere? Of course, you can do integrations, as you know, with any system, as long as you have people cooperating with that. So I, I could see an Epic or a Cerner, you know, wanting to do an integration there to make it easy rather than faxing and, and mailing. Even electronic forms of, of what's in there today would be a start. Wouldn't you agree? You know, if they could, my point is they could fill out a soap note on their EHR system, then they could export it and upload it to the uh, patient's personal health record. Got it. And I know at the top of this conversation, you said something which I could not agree with more, that sometimes the technology is the easy part. The hard part is getting people to do it and use it. Do you feel like there is 
enough recognition of need, let's just say, within the provider community that they would take the extra six clicks to do that upload. And I'm really thinking about how interoperability, which is ultimately what we're talking about here, is such a victim of the tragedy of commons. Me uploading anything doesn't immediately benefit me. I'm giving my information to somebody else, but I got to give to get. Do you feel like if Wyoming mandates this, that we're going to have robust PHRs or they're going to be pretty sparse? I think if the government mandates it, we will have very robust PHRs uh, in Wyoming. And I think it can be done. And I, and I think we're, we're really getting close. You know, what I just described to you in terms of how the privacy layer would work, you know, that's, that's not too far off. That's months, half a year, a year off of being really production grade and ready. Because one of the challenges is uh, private key and public key management in blockchain. And uh, there are some uh, folks that we partnered with, we think solved uh, that very big problem. And it will, uh, I think, be one of those enablers that will really kickstart this. And what we hope is uh, a jurisdiction like Wyoming or maybe some other state, not in the big states, where uh, this can be piloted and tested and, and, and a real strong proof of concept could go a long way because if you can show you know, it being done successfully in one state, then it could really take off in others. If I'm a provider, is it that I've got an app and, you know, there's some drop down menu or something like that. And, and then the second that I shoot that order out into the universe, it's kind of like pachinko <laughs> that it just kind of that ball just bounces and everybody who needs to be notified within the, the chain gets some sort of like pop up. What does that look like? So it's if you think of it like an order processing system, the the doctor places an order and the order gets sent. And does that look like on the screen? Does that look like a very familiar UX? There's some kind of website that I've logged into with my username and password and I go in and I've got an inbox over to the left. Yes, it's the workflow that might look a little different. And so the workflow might... Uh, you might see where it goes from A to B to C to D. You might actually be able to track that, you know, almost in real time because there's fewer people involved. Most of this is based on contracts that have been pushed onto the network, and these smart contracts don't require, you know, telephone calls for approval, for example. So it's kind of like... When I place an order on Amazon, I can see exactly where it is because UPS has a similar, the whole yes. thing is barcoded. So I get to see that it yes. just showed up in <laughs> the Nashville, Tennessee yes. hub. <laughs> yes. And, and what's interesting is anyone, any stakeholder on the network can query the network and at any point in time see, you know, what which transactions are active uh, can actually use it as a, a way of monitoring performance. And so it has a lot of public health implications as well. If this is all running on one distributed network, you know, is there something going on? I think many people don't realize that, you know, regulation or, or health systems or health public health departments can really benefit from these systems because they can monitor things in a much more real-time way versus a delayed sort of way. I mean, one of the problems right now, as you know, is people have very 
poor visibility into claims. Payers don't know where, you know, when money's coming or going. So these systems can help not only the health departments, but also the insurance regulators where they can see a payer, you know, where are they upside down, you know, on, in their claims portfolios and, and they don't realize it yet because everything's so delayed in the future you'd be able to cut off some of those problems and you'll, you know, you'd be able to adjust in a more agile way. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that, that if all of the information, you know, the second that someone places that order, that information is collected within one repository. So if someone's got permission to kind of yank that sliver of information out, they would have instantly in one aggregated place all of that insight. And the beautiful part about this, and and you mentioned repository, which sounds like it's centralized, but this particular repository is spread across many. They're not all sitting on one honeypot. Now, practically speaking, in the near term, until the scaling problems get solved, some of it will be aggregated or have to be aggregated, especially if you're doing analytics so what you'll find are the public health marts emerge where if you want to put my health record in your mart, you're going to have to pay me for that. So if you want to use my data to make your systems more efficient or you want to market to me, you have to you know, pay me for using my data. If I'm a provider, I know you said one of the things that's tough about these distributed networks is that everybody's got to buy into it. You know, if I want to like update my contract, do I got to get everybody to like fill in the, yes, I agree to the updated? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So I could see an issue there because like, what if I just, I go on vacation and I don't, I, you know, I come back and I've got 20 contracts. Uh, no, I think you'd have a quorum. I mean, there's probably going to be quorums there. So it's not, not everyone will be voting to. There'll be master nodes. I think in these kind of networks in the future, those who have bigger stakes or those who um, have bigger commitments may have more pool, if you will, in the network, uh, but it won't be controlled by any one group. So what's your advice for an executive at a payer organization or a provider organization relative to blockchain, like given the continuum or or where we are in the time-space continuum here, is your advice kind of wait and see if your state (laughs) makes any kind of mandates and then snap into action? Or are we close enough to blockchain becoming, I hesitate to use the term ubiquitous, but maybe common or uncommon um, in, in practice that that you would advise people actually start dipping their toe in the water. So I can relate this back to Wall Street and the capital markets when they started looking at blockchain about three, four years ago. Everyone uh, decided they would um, put a big board up of all the possible use cases inside the back office of all the banks. And then what they decided they would do is go out and learn about what blockchain distributed systems were. So they spent a lot of time educating themselves and bringing consultants in and getting trained and educated on what's going on. Then they would identify what they consider low-hanging fruit use cases. Use cases were the workflow that we were just talking about, those types of use cases could be tested or, or, or go through a, a proof of concept. And so the first thing they would do typically is do, you know, proof of technology. Does the technology work today? 
and it can do what we need to do, even the most basic. Thing. Then they would go and work with groups to, you know, do an actual proof of concept and see if it, they could get the gains or the value out of it that they believe they could. So I, I think what the exercise payers and providers should do is, you know, look at the underlying technology, see what the benefits are, what, you know, it, it's basically trust, data security, uh, and payments. Those those three things is what it improves on. And if you have anything that you know involves trust, a third party, data security, or payments, anything that's payment related, you should identify use cases and then test those use cases and then model them out for uh, production use. It took Wall Street, you know, two years to three years of proof of concepts before they got anything that was production ready. And as far as I know, there has not been any production system on Wall Street replaced by any blockchain system to date. So talk a little bit about Health Convicts. Health Convicts is in the business of developing various blockchain tools to uh, help companies uh, create and run these use cases. And the team is a mix of technology folks and healthcare folks. We are looking at all kinds of use cases. The one that we're working on right now is an identity system. Uh, we're going to focus initially on uh, an identity system for nurses and nurse practitioners. And so what we're doing right now is we're architecting and uh, building the underlying key management capability as well as the, the digital uh, credentialing system, which will allow nurses to map their credentials to their digital identity or their public key and then have payers, health systems, and staffing organizations use the network to uh, identify nurses for specific jobs or contracts. And so it's uh, what we're doing is making it very easy uh, for folks to uh, identify credentialed nurses in their states and then try to eliminate the uh, the staffing companies. In addition to that, we can also eliminate a lot of fraud that's committed. Unfortunately, there's malicious actors any, you know, in any network, whether you're a doctor or a nurse uh, or even an organization. Uh, much of this, these systems can uh, eliminate uh, identity fraud and help get rid of bad actors sooner rather than later. So we're we're working on you know ways to reduce malicious behavior. And where can people go if they are interested in learning more about what you're up to? They can go to our website or healthcombics.com. Awesome. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Cyrus. Well, thank you very much for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.